All through the word of God, we see this effort on Satan's part to try to crush or control the people of God. And the methods would change, but the motive was always the same. The motive was always to silence the message and the messenger. Somehow to keep us from understanding the truth, the word of God, the life of God, only through Jesus Christ and his redemptive purposes. It's always been the motive. Because Satan, fallen from God, in rebellion against God, chose to find a way, could not crush God, so he wanted to crush the people of God. And whether it was Cain and Abel, Abel killed by his own brother, because why? He honored God with a sacrifice from the firstling of his flock of sheep. The lamb slain right there in the book of Genesis for the redemption, for a picture of the redemption of mankind. Or whether it was Israel in bondage to Egypt, and in, in Egypt, they were forced to be slaves. They were under control. They were in a cancel culture. God found the most unlikely guy, Moses. He said to him, I'm gonna take you before Pharaoh and you're going to say, let my people go. That was counterculture. That was a cancel culture. Be quiet and do what we tell you to do. You're slaves. He went in and he said to the Pharaoh, God is going to bring a plague. Fine, that's no problem. The Pharaoh's uh, soothsayers and, and magic workers were able to reproduce three or four of those by deception, but there came a point at which deception would not last. I promise you, in America, deception will not last. There is coming a day of freedom. There's coming a day when we're going to see the glory of God displayed throughout the old world. And finally, when it came to the last plague, God told Moses, put blood over the doorpost of your house and the death angel will pass over and you will be saved, you will be spared from what's happening. And then he took them out of the land, he took them across the Red Sea and into the promised land and that's how God works. I really believe there were people that were Jews who did not put the blood on the doorpost because they were unbelieving. I believe there were Egyptians who put blood on the doorpost because they were believing. You see, your ethnicity, your geography, your language, your race, nothing else matters in the kingdom of God. It only matters that you believe in the revealed truth of the word of the living God. And we're living in a day where everything wants to be canceled or changed where critical race becomes a topic of every conversation, the reality is God knows nothing of race. I promise you when we get to heaven, you're gonna be surprised at who's there. You're gonna be surprised who's not there, and you're gonna be surprised what's not important anymore. Amen? When we fall before the Lamb of God on that day of Revelation 4 and 5 tells us where we sing his praises and we sing a new song, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and glory and honor. Everything of the past will be eclipsed into a mindless eternity. Right now we hang on to everything, but we don't know that we're hanging as precariously as a, as a spot of dust hangs on the lip of a bucket. 
If that metaphor doesn't do something for you, I don't know what will. (laughs) The God who created eternity and space and flung galaxies into order is the God who watches over your life on a daily basis. Does it get any better than that? He even said, I'm gonna name the stars because I wanna remember who's where and what's going on. And it says the song, the stars sing their songs. It's only recently the scientists understood that songs actually give off a sound wave. Could have told them that. I read that in the Bible. It was written 2,000 years ago. Nothing new to God. He's eternity. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. If he loved you yesterday, he loves you today. That's good news. Amen? You might feel guilty. Get over it. Guilt doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy or your spouse or your neighbor or your friend. <laughs> Amen? We like to say guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. If you feel guilty, somebody else has got to suffer in this process. Amen? Amen. I want to talk a little bit about one world government. This is part five in a series that we're doing within a bigger series. This is the 47th message I've spoke on this topic. I determined that I would keep it going until it looked like America was set free. So you may not hear anything other than this for years to come right now. (laughs) Amen. But what about the control? Where does it come from and what does it look like? We've all experienced it. Uh, I, I want to say at the outset that um, we want to. We have a culture here that says if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But that culture within here should also say you should not criticize someone who feels safer with one on. I really believe that, and I and I and I want to say it because sometimes we forget that. We also live in a time now where. People are taking the vaccine and they're wondering, you know, should I take it? Is it the right decision? What should I do? And uh, we want to just applaud those of you who've taken it and are back with us. God bless you for being here. I'm not trying to endorse or not endorse the vaccine. What I'm trying to say is that we are all struggling to try to figure out life today and we should do it together. If the community of faith can't love one another and disagree, what kind of a community of faith are we? We have to rise up above that. At the same time, there are a lot of concerns that I have about the vaccine. I'm gonna talk about one of them, the Moderna one today. And it really falls into the category of the unknown. It really, really does. Um, There may come a time when there is a vaccine passport. They've already issued some semblances of those in different parts of Europe. That may come a time where you are required to go to the movie or to go on, a va- on an airplane on vacation. We don't know what the days are having. We just really don't know. I found it was interesting that one of the controls is where you go and who you are. We've, we've all fallen prey of picking up our phone and either giving them our thumbprint or giving them our face. We see on and on and on this process of gathering personal information. The gathering of information with a simple COVID test provides DNA that goes I don't know where. We recently were out of the country and we flew back in and had to take the COVID test. I had no idea that my nose was that long. (laughs) 
She pulled out a stick about four feet long and somehow it disappeared. If you've had it, you know it's a painful experience or just not anything quite like it. I, I actually told her, I said, I think that's far enough. She said, oh no. I don't know where they get paid a commission on how many inches they go up your nose or what's happening there. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting day. One of the things we discovered is IBM is partnering with COVID-19 mRNA vaccine maker Moderna to track vaccine administration in real time through its various blockchain, artificial intelligence, and hybrid cloud services. DNA is a single point of data convergence across humanity that allows for these new moral economic models to generate enough volume to replicate present-day economies of scale and design financial instruments to exploit human beings at a cellular level. When I read that, I, I, I thought, what? Maybe you're like me and you go, what did that just say? Did you have that experience? And I, and I had to go back and I had to read it because it said to replicate present day economies of scale and design financial instruments to exploit human beings at a cellular level. We know that IBM has a patent on a vaccine that would actually allow you the ability through your DNA to do transfer of money in a digital currency that is only a, on a level of not practice, but on a level of investigation. Moderna's former chief medical officer, Tal Zaks, in 2017, he delivered a TED Talk, which you can watch, in which he plainly states that many of the mRNA vaccine detractors have been warning about, namely, that those novel vaccine technologies are in fact mechanisms designed to manipulate the human genetic code. That's another one I said, what? I mean, I really don't know what my genetic code is, but I, I kind of want it to stay the way it is, unless they can give me a skinny <laughs> code. I could opt for that one, right? He went on to say, I'm, hearing to, I'm here to tell you that we're actually hacking the software of life. So I, I'm not saying... Take the vaccine, don't take the vaccine. I'm saying that there's a lot of things that are just unknown in our world. And I've always found that pendulums tend to swing both ways in extremes. Have you ever noticed that? You've got the extreme over here. The Republicans tried to get everything they possibly could done within a four-year period, and now the Democrats are trying to get everything in their agenda done in the, in the next four years. And somewhere in the middle is, there's 10% over here, 10% over here, and then the middle is everybody else says, you know what I want to do? I want our country to be founded on truth. I want our country to be based on the Constitution. I want to work. I want to raise my family. I want to think about a, pro a prosperous future. I want to be happy. That's really what we want. That's what America wants. We're tired of the extremes. Like one preacher, my favorite guy, uh, he said... Uh, S.M. Lockridge, he said, it stands for Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge, in case you're wondering. But Shadrach, Lockridge said, I don't trust the left wing or the right wing because they're both flapping off the same bird. <laughs> Pretty good way to put it. Amazon is interesting in how we buy things. Amazon is a behemoth, we all know, and we love the fact that they show up at our door, and then we can put it back in the bag and send it back if we don't like it. 
is so convenient that I have to admit I, I get excited when Amazon pulls up. It's like Christmas at my house. You know, my wife has to calm me down. I don't order that anymore. Okay, all right, babe. Amazon announced its rollout of Amazon One devices that uses a customer's palm print for identification and payment at physical retail stores. So now I've gone from my fingerprint to my face to my retina to my entire hand. All this data gets stored. What happens to it? It really depends on the worldview and the ethics of the person that is collecting and collating and transferring data. We all know that we are under surveillance all the time, and uh, sometimes that's really good. In the case of crime and different things going on, most of us have some kind of device at our house that puts somebody's face to our doorbell, and then we determine if we like them <laughs> and want to answer the door, amen? It's interesting that the Bible speaks of this Amazon concept in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. And the second beast required all people, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. So the Bible kind of envisions this moment in, in the future, we know it's during the tribulation period, where there is not going to be any transfer of funds unless there is a mark provided by the then one world government. The name of the beast or the number of his name, here's a call for wisdom. Let one who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of man, and that number is 666. So that's something that's out there. We're gonna kind of pinpoint that on a chart for you a little bit later. But I want you to think about the prophecy of the last days. Do you realize that the Bible, what makes it unique above all other religious books, is prophecy fulfilled. And what we mean by that is that a prophet of the Old Testament, for example, whether it's Isaiah or Ezekiel or one of the others, he would write under the inspiration of God. He would write scripture, and many times he didn't even know what he was writing because he was inspired by God. And he would write the things, and he probably many times stood back and thought, what does that mean? Because he couldn't put it in the context of, let's say, 600 B.C., because it was meant for 2000 AD. And so Matthew 24, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. Now this is Palm Sunday. And a lot of people think what makes Palm Sunday significant is palm leaves. Kind of makes sense, right? Or we like to quote, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees are telling everybody to be quiet and don't praise Jesus. And so they say to him, Jesus says, if you don't let them praise me, even the rocks will cry out. And those are two pretty good themes that are in Palm Sunday. But many people overlook where he was headed on Palm Sunday. He was headed to the Mount of Olives. The reason that's so significant, we're going to see in this passage, now he's at the Mount of Olives, and it says he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Remember, this is, this is right before his death, and he's, he's moving through this Palm Sunday, which was in itself a fulfillment of Scripture, but he's moving to a place where he wants to tell us about the future. 
He wants to let us know that I've got some insights for you as you live out your life. So Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives becomes a key. Palm Sunday, Mount of Olives, let's go to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, verses three and four. Because this is where the historical context comes for the Mount of Olives. It says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. When is that? That's the second coming. As he fights in the day of battle, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So he's on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. They're asking him questions about the coming, the return of the Lord. And what he's really doing is he's trying to bring them back contextually to the book of Zechariah. He says, I'm coming back to this very spot. When I return, I'm coming here. You might look at what's happening now and what's gonna be happening in the days ahead and think, what's going on here? You're gonna see me crucified. You're gonna think it's all over. You're gonna think it's all done, but I want you to know it's just the beginning. Amen? Just the beginning. And it says, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem to the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. So now he takes it to another level. He says, I'm coming back, but this Mount of Olives that you've trusted in, this rock, this stone, you think is so stable in your life, everything stable that you think of is going to be instable or unstable in the days ahead because it's going to split in two. Now, do you realize what he was saying? He was saying that one of the things that you're going to know and is gonna happen is this mountain is literally gonna split in two. It's a pretty big prediction, isn't it? From the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it shall move toward the south. Now, there's one thing that Zechariah did not know. Geography. He didn't know about the structure of the universe. He didn't know about fault lines. He didn't have a lot of training, did he? He was a prophet of God. What he did have was insight that came from God that gave him inspiration to write correctly in the scriptures. Let me show you a map. This is a map, and that's a fault line. That fault line is bigger than the San Andreas fault line. Guess where it runs? Right through the Mount of Olives. How'd the prophet know that? Where'd he get his insight? How could he have understood what was happening there? There was a natural fault line, and, and when Zechariah the prophet wrote, he wrote under the inspiration of God, when Jesus said, I'm coming back, I want you to know something, there's going to be all kinds of signs, there's gonna be all kinds of things happen that are absolutely going to confirm the word of God in your life. Luke chapter 21, verse 25, and there shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. Now, a couple of the marks that we find here are there are going to be some signs in the heavens. That actually takes you back to Genesis chapter one and verse 14 and following, where it says that he created the, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they shall be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. So the sun, the moon, and the stars are all signs. They tell us something about our future not in the astrology kind of a way, but in the biblical kind of a way where it says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. The very alignment that you have in the universe of the stars is amazing. It wasn't put there by the Greeks 
wasn't created by the astrology section of the LA Times. It was put there by God himself. Do you realize in our, in our northern hemisphere here, the largest, the largest constellation is Draco the dragon. It's the serpent. It wraps itself almost completely around the earth. Well, you say that's interesting because we have a serpent, Satan, who tries to control the earth. He's called the god of this world, little g. But do you know what's standing above the head of Draco the dragon? It's a strong man, Hercules, and he's got his hand on his foot, on his head, and he's crushing the head of the serpent. You know why that's significant? Because the promise given to Adam and Eve was that the, there was coming a seed from woman, a virgin birth, was coming down somewhere down the road, and guess what? He was going to strike the heel of the coming seed of woman. The Messiah would, would be struck in the heel. That's not a mortal killing. But he would crush the head of the serpent. And so we see this gospel that's portrayed even in the stars that remind us that God is in control. But notice what it said, distress of the nations would also be a sign. Are we in distress as nations? Turmoil on every hand, confusion on every hand, whether it whether it's, has to do with race, it has to do with the economy, it has to do with world sanctions, it has to do with pestilence, it has, there's a distress in the nations, and there's a perplexity. How do we solve this problem? Never has there been a more global confusion that existed on our earth than right now. It says the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing or f failing them from fear. Never has there been a time when there's been greater fear right now. And we wanna remind you, if you're a believer, you don't have to fear. In fact, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is false evidence that appears real. Fear is lack of faith. When you just step into the faith world, you go, wait a minute, if God is in control, even when things are bad, I'm gonna be fine. Is that right? That's exactly right. You are what you think about. If you keep thinking about fear all day long and what's wrong with the world, you will get consumed with it. You have to be an overcomer. You have to realize that if God is for you, nothing can be against you. Not things present, not things to come. Nothing can come up against you. The love of God will never separate you from him, amen? Amen. And look, and also, what else? The distress is coming from the expectation of those things that are coming to the earth. People ask me all the time, Pastor, do you fear what's coming to the earth? I don't fear what's coming to the earth. I don't like what I see happening on planet earth right now. I don't like things that are going on, but I don't fear the things because I put my faith in God. Can you imagine if you're living in Noah's day and God said to you, you know, you're gonna build a ship, it's gonna rain, it never rained before, and only your, your family are gonna be saved. That's about the craziest concept I've ever heard. That guy moves in your, down your street, he starts building a giant ark and he's gathering up all the dogs and cats in the neighborhood. This is, I mean, you gotta put this in, in real life, right? Where's my cat? We needed some cats. Right? You gotta laugh once in a while. This world's too, too serious, right? Thank God for people with laughs that make us laugh. Right? Let me take you through a, a couple of 
prophetic data points that might be interesting to you. 1914 to 1917, um, that's World War I. You say, what does World War I have to do with this? Well, you actually can put a chronology in Matthew chapter 24, and you can see some things that are happening. So in Matthew 24 and verse 7, it says, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. So one of the things we know is that World War I was the first time nation was gathered against nation worldwide. So I believe this is a fulfillment of what Matthew was talking about for the first time in 1914. Let's go to the next one. 1948, Israel becomes a nation. Now, as you're gonna see in a chart in just a few minutes, that Israel had not been a nation for thousands of years. All of a sudden, coming out of the, 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 this, the worldwide crisis of the Holocaust, Israel rises up and becomes a nation. The Bible says in Isaiah 66 that can a nation be born in a day, and that's what happened to Israel just three years after six million Jews had been annihilated, a miracle of God. Then in 1950, Israel decided they would establish what was called the law of return. The law of return basically said if you have Jewish blood, you can come back and you can be a citizen of Israel. Doesn't matter where you live, you can come because they're building a nation now. But they're building a nation very uniquely. They're building a nation of Jews. That is a promise of a regathering we see throughout Scripture. We could literally take you through dozens of Scriptures that talk about that. But then 1967 comes, and all of a sudden you see all these, these neighbors of Israel that don't like what's happening. And so a war breaks out that starts and ends in six days. They were outmanned probably 10 to 1. And God worked so many miracles. There's so many miracles that took place during that time. Remember, they did not have ownership or control of Jerusalem or the Western Wall, known as the Wailing Wall. That was out of their control. Israeli paratroopers stormed into the old city in June 7th, 1967. Within four hours, Israel had retaken control of the Temple Mount, and the world witnessed young Israeli Defense Force soldiers weep as they touched the Western Wall for the first time in their lives. A miracle. It's a miracle because... I believe it was the beginning of the fulfillment of this scripture I'm going to read, Luke chapter 21, 24. Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles. You're a Gentile. Everyone's a Gentile who's not a Jew. So the Arabs, whoever they were, any people there, they were considered Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. I believe 1967 became significant, not just because of what we read about the soldiers touching the Western Wall for the first time in their life, but it was the beginning of this scripture, this fulfillment, that now the Gentiles are no longer gonna control this area, and that would continue to go on until Israel rebuilds a temple. How about 1970s to the 1990s? Russian Jews. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, 7 and 8, as the Lord lives who brought up and led descendants out of the house of Israel from the north country, from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So what happened was it was called the Russian expulsion. They began to push Jews out of Russia. It actually became one of the downfalls for them because some of the brightest, some of the best left Russia and left them bankrupt of a lot of intellectual property on a human level. 
But where did they go? Most of them went to Israel. We have people in our church who, whose origin are Russian Jews. And they were part of that expulsion that took place. And Russia thought they were getting rid of someone they didn't want. They didn't know they were fulfilling the plan of God. Isn't that amazing? How about Ethiopia, 1984 and 91, also in 99, and even as late as 2020, what happened was we, they discovered that all there were a number of these Jews that were living in Ethiopia, and they had Jewish blood in them. And this Jewish blood marked them out as being a part of this. And the persecution was going on. The, the country was in turmoil. And so what happened was there were, there were uh, an effort to get them out. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, I will restore the peoples a pure language. Now let me just stop right there. The pure language in Scripture is considered to be Hebrew. That was restored back. Hebrew was a lost language until it was brought back in 1881. It became then the official language of the nation of Israel. So not only were they without a nation, they were without a language. So if you didn't, if it was an oral language and you could, if you didn't, couldn't hear it, you couldn't speak it, you couldn't learn it, and the Hebrew language doesn't have vowels in it, it's just consonants, so when you look at it, it looks, how do I read that? Unless you can hear it, unless you know it, and then the Masoretics came in and they added all this in so you could understand how to speak it. Not till 1881 could this scripture right here be fulfilled on a pure language, that they all may come on, call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. God said, I'm gonna bring them out of Ethiopia. We had the opportunity to be in Ethiopia a number of years ago. We were shooting a TV pilot in India and Ethiopia, and then while there, we were speaking at the embassy, and, and uh, they took us up to the place where they believe the Ark of the Covenant is. They actually believe it's in Ethiopia. And there's a series of tunnels that are said to be hundreds of miles long where they, they constantly are moving it around. Now, is it there? I don't know. But I want to show you something interesting. In 1984, Operation um, Moses took place, and that's where we airlifted, Israel airlifted 15,000 Jews out of Ethiopia and into Israel. A few years later, 1991, Operation Solomon, 20,000 Jews airlifted out of Ethiopia into Israel. Who does this? God. God had a purpose. God had a plan. They believe now they've got all those with a Jewish bloodline who were Ethiopians out who want to come out of Ethiopia. You see, Ethiopians are descendants of an, Israel, uh, as an Israelite tribe who came to Ethiopia with uh, Menelik I, alleged to be the son of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. The legend relates to, to Menelik took with him the Ark of the Covenant. This is where this legend begins. Is it fact? I don't know. But it, I, I, I couldn't help but believe when I saw the airlift that it was more than just regathering people into Israel. Could it be? Now, I'm totally off the map now. Are you okay with this? Total speculation. Could it be? that in part, that was a cover to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Now remember, speculation. 
I'm guessing. Don't quote me. I know somebody's going to post on Facebook today. The Ark of the Covenant was in Ethiopia. It was brought back to Israel, Pastor Phil said. I've definitely been misquoted worse. All right, let me show you a chart here. Let me take you a little chart. Now I'm going to walk through what we just talked about. So if I go over here to the far left, you'll notice it says Israel falls to Babylon in 606 B.C., so now let me just kind of take you quickly through this. So Israel is called dispersed for 2,500 years because they're not a nation again until 1948. Now think about this. Not a nation for 2,500 years and all of a sudden they come back in, our, in, in basically a lifetime. We're experiencing that we're, even if you're young, you're going, wow, Israel's a nation, all right? So now we're gonna kind of walk through this. So World War I takes place. There's our first data point. We mark that with Matthew 27, verse four. 1948, Israel becomes a nation, Isaiah chapter 66. Then the law of the return comes in 1950, and that's still moving forward. When you talk, when we were in Israel a number of years ago, we talked to people from all over the world, literally, United States, Europe, wherever, that were Jews, and they said, well, why are you in Israel? Well, because, and this was what they always said, Israel has a homeland, and I'm a Jew, I should be in my homeland. So there's something very unique that's happening in the heart and soul of the Jew. Now we have the Six-Day War, Matthew 24, the Russian Jews, 1970, Ethiopian Jews, 1984. Now what's gonna happen here at some future time, it could be today, it could be a 1,000 years, I don't speculate on when, but there's going to be the rapture of the church. What does that mean? That means the church is taken out of the world, and when the church is taken out of the world, the tribulation begins. And then if we had a data point marking midway in that tribulation, we'd say at the midpoint of the tribulation period is what's called the great tribulation, if you're taking notes, then that is going to be a point where if you read Matthew 24 and Revelation 13, that's where the Antichrist introduces the mark of the beast and all who want to buy or sell. Here's the good news. If you believe what I'm teaching you right now, you're not gonna get the mark of the beast if you're a true believer. If you're not a true believer, you're here on earth, and you're gonna to have to contend with the Antichrist during the tribulation period. And you say, well, aren't there other views? Yes, but I've spent my time believing what I believe and teaching what I teach. Why, I want all the views. Well, then you go look them up. <laughs> I've come to a belief and a conclusion in this based on my study. So the tribulation period takes place, and at the end of the tribulation period is an event called the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you want the, the reference for that, that's Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Verse 11. So let's talk a little bit about the move of God in the last days. I believe God is moving today. Amen? I believe the fact you're here, God is moving in your heart. I believe that there's an anticipation in your heart and your soul to see God do some great things. I wanna see a great revival come to, to the world and to America. I wanna see a restoration of hearts uh, uh, and souls of people to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Job chapter 12 is an interesting scripture, not often used in the prophetic world, but let me read it to you. He makes nations great and he destroys them. This is a reminder that God is sovereign. I like to say the first rule of life is God is God and you're not. 
The second one is God does what he wants when he wants, and he doesn't have to explain anything to anyone. If you can get those two mastered, you can go a long way. He enlarges nations and guides them. You see how God's sovereignty always comes back to this? The scripture says God holds nations in his hand like, like water in the, in the palm of his hand, and he moves them in the channels as he will. But notice this next one. He takes away understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth. Let me tell you what I think this, the application for this is today. I believe the application is that we find leaders that can't think correctly or clearly, and they try to convince the masses that they do. He brings confusion. So sometimes a confusion is not just a matter of what someone's going through or not reading the teleprompter correctly. There is actually a confusion that God brings on leaders. (laughs) Don't read into what I'm saying. (laughs) He makes them wander in pathless wilderness. You know, what's happening today with, you know, poor Mr. Potato Head, (laughs) Dr. Seuss, And some of these other things, it's just like, this is mindless to me. It is wandering on a path that doesn't exist in the wilderness. When there's so many issues that are so big and so important, we get so offline. It says they grope in the dark without light. You ever been in a room without the light? You can't find the switch and you're, you're groping, that's, that's the picture here. He makes them stagger like a drunken man. And here's, here's someone who, whose understanding is taken away, the chiefs of the earth, and this is talking about leaders worldwide. He makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. Look at the metaphor here. They grope in the dark without light. He makes them stagger like a drunken man. Haggai chapter two, verse six. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, I will shake the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations. I love that because it leads to the next sentence. Look what it says. And they shall come to the desire of the nations. Do you know what every person on planet earth really desires, but they find substitutes for it? They desire to know the true God, the living God. Sometimes you have to get shaken up before you know that. Sometimes nations have to get shaken up before they realize what's really important. He says, I'm gonna shake up the nations. I'm gonna bring so much confusion that there's going to be a desire to come to the desire of the nations, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I didn't know Christ, I didn't know what I was missing. I was fine. I thought, well, I'm fine. But when I met him, I realized this is what I've been looking for, this relationship with God. This is so powerful, this is so rich, this is so meaningful. And he says, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This is what's coming, guys. We're gonna see some of these things happen in our lifetime. We're gonna see a move of God in our lifetime. We're gonna see miracles restored to the church in our lifetime. We're gonna see the heart of the Father return to the Son and the Son to the Father, as Malachi says. God shakes the earth to get our attention. You ever been rattled and shaken by a circumstance in your life and you'd found prayer? Right? I guess I better pray. 
Haven't we all said that? And you kind of wonder, why did it take this for me to start praying? Because there's something about the disruption of our world that reminds us, oh, I'm not in control of my world. God shakes the earth to draw us to himself. Why does God shake the world? He said, I want you to come unto me. I want you to draw unto me. And when you draw unto me, I'm gonna draw near unto you as well. God shakes the earth to fill his temple with glory. Guess who his temple is today? You. You are the temple of the living God, the Bible says. You are the walking, moving temple of God. Everywhere you go, you carry the holy, the holy one of Israel. You carry the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. And you are projecting, whether you know it or not, the presence of God. I have Christians all the time say, I don't know what I did. Why do people not like me? Because God in you is disruptive to their world. You see, God's presence is always disruptive. It always disrupts those who don't understand it, and it draws those in who do. That's why the Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because as you're filled with the Spirit of God, what are you gonna do? You're gonna draw more people. You're gonna, you're gonna actually move in this power of the Spirit of God in such a way that the world absolutely changes. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. God lets you be the temple. He also calls you ambassadors to represent him here on earth. There's never been a time when the church should be more bold than it is right now. There's never been a time when we should be more courageous when there's fear in our world. There's never been a time when we should read the Word of God and be filled with the Spirit more than right now. We're living in prophetic days that demand His church stand up, be known, let the world know we are the Lord's. Amen? We are the Lord's. Amen. If you don't know the Lord, if you're, if you're, here in this place or you're watching outside or online, we wanna invite you to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that really comes by faith, simple faith. God purposely made it simple. He wanted us to be able to, to come to him by faith and not by being good. He said, I'm a really good person. Well, that's fine, but that's not gonna get you in heaven. What's gonna get you in heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. Believe he was buried, died and rose from the dead. Have you come to that place in your life? If not, I just wanna invite you to pray a prayer like this one with me, right where you stand or sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were buried for my sins and rose to give me eternal life. And it's by faith right now I receive you, Jesus, into my heart. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Give me the promise of eternity that I might love you, honor you, and I might make a difference in my world, amen. That was your prayer. We want you to know that God did exactly what he said. And if you wanna take the next step, next Sunday is Easter. We're gonna have baptisms. If you wanna be baptized, you can go online and sign up right on the app. But we want you to be a part of declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What better day to do it than on Resurrection Sunday, amen? Amen. So if you wanna if you wanna get more information, you can go to Link Central afterwards and they can provide you. You can go right on the app, you can register today. And uh, it's gonna be just a great day to just celebrate Holy Communion. I mean, uh, Holy Communion on Saturday night and then baptism on Sunday. Great weekend for all of us. Uh, we're gonna have Rita Springer with us here leading worship. 
We've got a great list coming up. You're not gonna wanna miss a Sunday. Um, if you have to miss any Sunday, don't miss the next one. And then if you, and then don't miss the next one. And then don't miss the next one, amen? Amen.